0: Once again, we're glad to have you with us. Uh, this morning, we are starting a new series. It's called Searching for God. And uh, for the next four weeks, we are going to take uh, the top four, over the last couple of years, the top four Googled questions about God. Uh, and and talk about those. I think you'll find they're they're not surprising questions, and it may be that we uh, address some things that you've been uh, wondering about. And and a big sort of subtext to this series is is, is going to be uh, moving beyond uh, some of the mythology that we hang on to in the church. Uh, too many times we treat Christianity more like magic than we do a relationship with God, right? That if you do A plus B... You get C. If I if I pray in a certain way, uh, with the right time, in the right church, at the right service, with the right music, uh, then everything's going to go my way, right? But that's not the way religion works. That's not the way God works. And and uh, so that's sort of an undercurrent of it. There's also uh, it will help us if any of you have ever. Um, Uh, walked away from the church, Uh, a lot of times that happens because the things that we see in the church are not necessarily representative of who Jesus is uh, and and not necessarily representative of his plans for us. And uh, Which, by the way, the number one growing demographic in Christianity in the United States currently is the Duns. Those who have been a part of church and have walked away because they're done, right? And a big part of that is because a lot of times in the church, we hold a position and we teach in a way that's not necessarily biblical. And so then when people have real life experiences that are contrary to that, they're like, well, they lied to me. And that God who was, that, that was gonna take care of all my problems hasn't taken care of all my problems, therefore there must not be a God. Or even if there is a God, He can't be trusted. And so if, if you've ever struggled in that, uh, hopefully this might help you, uh, to see that the Christianity you walked away from may not really be Christianity. It may also help you to understand if you've got grandkids, uh, children, neighbors, coworkers that push back about faith, what, what their struggles are in that. And if we're honest, I think all of us, uh, can, can, uh, can say that we've had questions about God in this way the the question we're going to address today is how do we know that God is good how do we know that God is good and and the the assumption in that question how when would you go and google that it's going to be when things are going bad right and 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 uh, we, we don't know who did these, these searches, but what would drive someone to, to search for that? It's gonna be, well, uh, for, it might be someone who's grown up in church and heard over and over again that, that God is good. I mean, we, that, that's sort of a given for those of us that grew up in church. Uh, in fact, you know, back 10, 12 years ago, it was uh, the tradition of everyone to start a service by saying, God is good. And all the time, right, yeah, so you all knew that good, you get an A in church attendance, right and 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 yes, we, we that is who he is, but then for then we go home, and bad things happen, and some of the people that we sat next to that look so nice and everything, we find out they're not so good either. And, and all the problems that, you know, I heard in the message that Jesus is my all in all and that if I give him as my life, he's going to take care of me and, and, and I don't need to worry or anything anymore. Why hasn't he taken care of my problems? And one of these series is going to be dealing with the question of why does God allow bad things to happen? So I'm not going to get stuck there this morning. We'll take, take that on in another week. But the idea is, how can we know God is good? I think it's essentially a question of trust. If if God is the God that's claimed in the Bible, that God is by his very nature good, that God alone is good, if God is good, how do I know that I can trust him with my life? The claim of Christianity is that we give ourselves over to a divine uh, a divine being, that we give up our own will for the will of another. And in that, that takes trust. That's what we call faith. We are saved by faith. That's trust. So how am I supposed to have faith in a God that's claimed good, but I see so much bad in the world? I mean... It, I know for myself that's a question I've wrestled with over the years. How do we really know God is good? The other part of it is the goodness, the way we define goodness is different than when we talk about God being good. Here's here's how we define, okay, here's how I define, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. This is how you think too, but I'm going to let you be in denial for a little bit. What is good is what is good for me, right? When I get what I want, how I want, where I want, when I want, that's good, right? Reflected in the way we pray. We storm the, the gates of heaven over and over, basically saying, God, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. Why haven't you done this? I'm waiting for this. Do this. Do this. Do this. And until he does things the way we want, how we want, where we want, when we want, he hasn't answered our prayer. And long enough of those prayers not going answered, they're being answered, but you're being told no or not yet. The longer that goes, the more we begin to question, is God good Take that to someone who hasn't grown up in church. That becomes an even more poignant question. Why should I put my trust in somebody that look around? Things aren't that good. Why should I bother with religion? Why should I Why should I even go through that door? Here's what I know from my life. You can't trust anyone. Why should I trust God? What we don't understand is the definition of good God had is different than the definition we have of good. Believe it or not, you getting your way is not God's highest priority. That's shocking. I mean, we we laugh at that, but really, if we're honest with ourselves, there's a big part of us that hopes and and would love to believe and, and this is why there's so much frustration in people that, that miss the intimate part of a relationship with God and are just going, they, they just have the rule part down. Uh, there's just this dissatisfaction that's left when, when we do the things that we're supposed to, and at the times we're supposed to, and it doesn't seem like anything's changing. But any of you that are parents know that unless you want to raise monsters that are going to take over the world, you have to say no sometimes. And you have to... That Here's the reality. We don't know what's best for us, right? We would like to think that we know what's good and bad. But if you're honest, oftentimes the things we desire, if we got everything we would desire we would be the most unhappy people in the world. In the Methodist system, we have an appointment system where pastors get appointed to churches. And a part of that is when a pastor is leaving, uh, they do a consultation with the SPRC, the HR committee at the church to what what is the characteristics of a pastor that you want in replacement. And usually the way that goes is whatever the current pastor is doing you take all of his weaknesses and that's what we want for the we want strengths in that for the for the next time right and and it's so amazing to me how many times you you see that play itself out and a church gets exactly what they were asking for and it was worse than before (laughs) right because we don't really know what we need just like a, a you know, a, a small kid doesn't know what he needs and doesn't know what's dangerous. And that, that we need someone who has a bigger vision in order to help us understand what's good for us. And so we're going we're gonna to examine that a little bit uh, today. And, and uh, what what does God's goodness mean for us? And can we trust it? Can we put our trust in the fact that God is good that he's on our side that ultimately what he asks for us and from us is is the best thing for us. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10 beginning in verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem a man came running up to him knelt down and asked, "Good teacher, What must I do to inherit good eternal life? Well, why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all those commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now and return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then and those who seem the least important now will be the greatest then this is the word of god for the people of god Amen. thanks be to god so most of us have heard this story before and and for a lot of us it's 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 one of those stories that we like because it doesn't apply to us all right this is one of the, and, and, by the way, here's, here's what I, I, I a truth. I, th- I think we love the commandments that we can point at someone else and say you need to do this, but we don't see that we need to apply them to ourselves. And so we have this rich young ruler that comes up and he wants, he, he comes and asks a question that I think is a, a, a pretty basic human question. Uh, what do I need to do to get eternal life? What I need to do to, to go to heaven. And, and I, I think for pretty much all of us, at some point, that was our number one motivation in seeking out a relationship with God. It had to do with our eternal security. For myself, I look back and I grew up in the church, and, and I remember talking about Jesus and stuff, but in that I don't remember a kingdom vision of what christianity was about that I'm invited into the work of god and and to be the hands and feet of god and and it's more than just the rule book uh, that it's a relationship with him the main message i heard is if you want to be if you want to if you want to be good and go to heaven then you do this if you want to go to hell then keep doing the stuff you're doing right and so we turned it into this sort of behavioral thing. And remember, this young man is a Jewish person. So he, he's grown up under Mosaic law. And so he has that background. And obviously the guy is genuine and he's devout. He's, he's obviously not just a, a Jew by, um, by affiliation. He's, he's, he's got an interest and, and he knows it and he's trying to live it out and he's aware of the law. And so as he comes. He says, good teacher, how do, I, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus cuts him off at, right at the beginning and says, why do you call me good? And I think it's a, it's a setting for the rest of the conversation. Why are you calling me good? Because only God is good. Now, he's going to go on to talk about giving up your possessions and stuff. And let's be honest. There's so many ways that we all act as if our possessions and the things we love are the good thing. And he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. It connects that me and God are the same, but it's also setting the table that only God is good. There's nothing else that matches his value. And then goes on to say, well, you know the commandments. And he runs through some of the Ten Commandments. Uh, uh, Don't... uh, you know the commandments, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. And the guy looks at him and says, yeah, I've, I've not done any of that since since I was a young child. And I think that's the way a lot of us... Like to think about it. If, it. if it comes down to the way we live and stuff. Now, I think Jesus could have pressed him on some of these and said, really? Come on. I know everything. You've never cheated. You never build false witness. But that's not the important thing to Jesus. It's not about the rules. We're in the new covenant, not the old Mosaic covenant. So the law is not the saving agent. It's actually a relationship with God that's a saving agency. But he this guy... Again, looks and says, well, if if that's it, I'm in. And it says Jesus looked for him and, and, and was connected with him. He felt something for him. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I think as he looked at him, he saw someone who was striving, someone who wanted the answers. But even in the young man's heart, there was a disconnect. Why else would he come and ask? If he was so set that I've done everything I'm supposed to by the law, if I, if, if he was so certain that he had lived a life worthy of God, then why the question? And I think even in the young man's heart, he knew there had to be more than just following rules i think it it's at the heart of why some folks struggle in this christianity thing because for so many of us what we heard and what we were taught is don't do this and do that don't do don't do and and it and a pursuit of that gets exhausting and it just leaves you empty and it and and it It's frustrating because as much as you try to do the good thing, you end up doing the thing you're not supposed to do. So Jesus looks at him and now he wants to open up the kingdom to him. And he says, there's still something you haven't done. And you can just imagine the guy's eyes sort of opening. He says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to take all your possessions, sell them, give it to the poor and then follow me says immediately, the guy lowered his head and walked away frustrated. I think Jesus went to the thing that was so important to him to say, what do you love more than God in your life? What is the good that you're hanging on to that's replacing God? Now, I've heard so many sermons on this where uh, people, I mean, go after rich people and affluence and all that kind of stuff. That's why we sort of are comfortable with this passage, because we all say, well, we're not rich. Well, yes, you are. Number one, by definition in, in the world geography, you are rich. You are at the top percentile, no matter what your level of income is here in the United States, you are at the top of the, the world as far as affluence. But this goes way beyond affluence. There, Here's here's a better way to think of it. What is it that gives you comfort and security? Uh, what What is it for you that gives you comfort and security that you put your hope and trust in? It may be money, maybe your retirement plan, it may be your house, it may be a relationship, it may be your kids, it may be friends. There's a whole lot of things that could possibly fall in there. But ultimately what Jesus is teaching in that is you can't have a full relationship with God until you're willing to empty yourself of everything but him. And we read this, and it, it, we are just like the young man. We hear that and we go, oh, that's too much. That costs too much. That's why I think we love this story because we, we can automatically say, well, I'm not rich. I, I'm still trying to make my payments on my daughter's education, right? I, I'm not rich. And, but he's going beyond money here he's talking about things that we hold on to that part of your relationship that you have said yes god i want to i want to follow you yes jesus i want to give my heart to you i want to follow you and and i give you all of that but leave this alone leave this alone this this belongs to me that's for the young man that was his possessions He said he walked away. It was too much because the man had many valuable possessions. And for us, what is your valuable possession other than God that you're hanging on to? There's so many answers to that. Is loving your family bad? No, but if your family rises to more importance than God, you have your your relationship messed up. Do you know you can make an idol even out of church stuff? If right, Anything that takes the place of worth, anything that we place more value on than God gets in the way. And ultimately what Jesus is saying is, no, I need you to trust me with everything. I think this is part of why the American church is suffering. It's why we're seeing people leave the church. It's why we're not seeing young people come to the church. Because the the form of Christianity we're practicing has everything to do with comfort. And sacrifice is a dirty word. We're basically trying to take God and fit him into our politics. And fit him into our lifestyle. And fit him into the things that we think are important. And as long as we can do that, then we, then we are comfortable with following God. But as soon as a line is crossed where we're told to do something differently, we balk. And this isn't the only time Jesus taught this. Go back to Matthew after Peter proclaimed him as Messiah. He said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. There is no there is no there is no form of Christianity that doesn't involve sacrifice. It costs something. Yes, it's free. Jesus died for your sins. He paid the price. That's why the law and the and the commandments are not the important thing because Jesus fulfilled all of those. But what connects us with that is our trust in him. You are saved by faith. Ephesians chapter 2. Our trust in him is what connects us with Jesus. And to fully trust God, we have to fully trust him with everything. That marriage, that Is on the rocks. Those kids that you love so much, all of that, all of that needs to be slid across the table into the hands of the one who has all power and authority. And for for too many people, for too many times in my life, the way my mind works is that's too much. That costs too much. That's too risky. But that's because we don't understand the goodness of God. I wanna take you back to a story uh, in the Old Testament. Remember Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarai, couple wanted a son. God spoke with Abraham, said, I'm gonna give you a son. Finally is fulfilled when he's 100 years old. Isaac appears on the scene Isaac, this, this, it was part of the promise of God. It was the, it was the thing that Abraham wanted more than anything else, and God gives him a son. And a good God had done a good thing and given me what I wanted. But if you remember what happened after that, Abraham has a son, Isaac, and God said to him, I want you to take Isaac up to the mountain of God, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. What? How does that work? If you're good, why would you want me to do something that would be bad? But, But what God was doing was for Abraham, what he's asking us to do, if you trust me, you'll learn that my goodness, even though it doesn't equate with your goodness, that my goodness is more powerful than anything else you'll know. So Isaac took him to the mountain of God. He built an altar. He tied Isaac down to it. He raised the knife and was about to uh, to sacrifice him. And God said, stop. You don't need to do that. Had a ram appear. The ram became the sacrifice. And, and uh, Isaac was able to live. Here's what I think God was doing for Abraham. I think it's the same thing he asked us to do. Abraham had had trusted God to a point, but now he had Isaac and his trust was stopping there and he was like, I'll, I'll do anything else, but leave this alone. And God was saying to him, Abraham, you, you know I'm good. You've experienced it. You've tasted it. You're holding it in there now, but I need you to trust me more. Are you, are you going to stop here? Because I have a lot more to do in your life. There's many more blessings that I want to do, and there's much more powerful things that I want to do through for your life. But I need you to be willing to give up the good for my good. Are you willing to trust me, or are you done? Are you done? And I think that's a question he has for so many of us this morning. Yeah, you've tasted the goodness of God. Yes, you've seen his hand at work. Yes, he's been blessed. Yes, you're in a comfortable position. But I think the spirit is yearning for you. But are you done? Because I have so much more I want to do for you. There's so much more that I could benefit. There's so much more that I could show my blessings. There's so many more ways that you could be an important part of the kingdom. But are you done? This is hard. And after the disciples had heard this and Jesus said, it's, it's harder for a rich man to go, through, uh, go to the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the disciples were like, well, then how can anyone be saved? I mean, if it's that hard, how can anyone be saved? And Jesus said, well, if, if you're talking human, humanly, it's impossible. This is why the law wasn't important. All the law did is keep us in bounds until, until Jesus showed up to win our salvation. The do and don't is not going to get you what you're looking for. You're always going to have a gap. There's always going to be an emptiness. You're never going to have the connection with God as long as you rely on the do and the don't. Because the do and the don't are about us. We need to put all our trust in him. It says, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God... All things are possible because once you move your chips in with God and push all in on the table, he, takes, he now has room to do his thing because now you've made room for him to be your most prized position. For him to be the most valuable thing in your life. You're not blocking that, that place of power and position in your life. You're not, you're not misusing it. You've opened it so that now God can take his rightful place in your life and take you where you want to be. And then Peter. I think part of the reason we all love Peter is because he says out loud what everybody else just keeps in their mind. Peter said, what about us? Look at what we did. I left my fishing job to follow you. I've left my family to follow you. And for many of us in the room, that, that would be our question. Well, yeah, but what about me? I, I, I have sacrificed quite a bit. I have, I have done things that I didn't want to do. What, what about us? And here's where we figure out what goodness is and that, yes, it's worth the cost. He says, uh, verse 29. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem the least important now will be the greatest then. In other words... Yes, Peter, I know the sacrifice you know. Yes, Peter, you're, you're on the right track, but you're still judging your response in the world based on human values. But I'm flipping everything around, and everything you think is important now won't be important then. And all the things that you thought were important will not be as important. It's what Paul says in in Philippians chapter 3. Once Saul became Paul and understood that Christ died for him in chapter 3, he says, all those things that I thought were so important, my nationality, my my Jewishness, my being a Pharisee, all of that kind of stuff, all those things that I thought were, were so important, I now consider them worthless because of the righteousness of Christ. It seems like a risk, but folks, you can't outgive God. There is no sacrifice that you can possibly make that God is not going to pay back a hundredfold. We 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 make too many decisions and lifetime decisions based on our little circumstances where God has an eternal vision of who we are. It's not that he turns a blind eye to our happiness. It's just he's playing the long game, not the circumstantial game. He, he's playing for eternity. We're playing for right now. That's why we're on different pages. That's why Isaiah says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are, are higher than your ways. Right? Because he, he has a completely different perspective. But in the end... No matter what sacrifice we've made, no matter how costly it is to it, God always gives more than we can ever give. You will never outgive God. And that's not, you don't have to wait for heaven for that. Paul had one of the most painful, difficult, challenging lives there is, and he's the one that said everything before was nonsense. Now I understand. Because once you make that move, circumstances begin to take the back seat. Because the Spirit works on you to understand that you're part of something bigger. Don't hang on to the gift that you have and close God out from the rest of your life. Open the door. He's not done yet. That good thing can become a great thing, an awesome thing, an amazing thing. The question is, are you done? Or are you you willing to open the door for more of God? Why don't you bow with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, first of all, we are so thankful for your patience with us. Who are we to question your goodness? Who are we to question your authority? Who are we that you're even mindful of us? But God, you don't rebuke us at our questions. You don't lose patience with us because of our, our inability to, to change ourselves. Instead you just keep offering yourself again and again and again and you've taken care of all the details and you've you've opened a doorway through your son Jesus Christ and you've you've sent your your spirit to live and dwell in us to change us from the inside out and help us in ways that we can't possibly help ourselves. But God we 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 still struggle and so we pray And just want to say, God, we want to give you more access. But that's hard for us. In fact, it's impossible for us. We need your spirit to lead us. Change us from the inside out. Help us to see things the way you see them. Help us prioritize the way you prioritize. God, give us that kind of perseverance and faith that we don't walk away from your goodness just because it's difficult. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.